We're still in 2 Corinthians, and last week we had the spectacle of Paul fleecing his sheep. Uh, it was mostly a, a fundraiser uh, where Paul exhorted the Corinthian church to match the Macedonian church in enthusiasm at least and prepare a gift to be sent back to the poor in Israel. That took us through chapter 9 and now we'll get chapter 10. The version of scripture I have is uh, English Standard and it's got these little headings at the top of each chapter and the heading here is Paul defends his ministry and that's what he's sort of been doing the entire letter. I'm not sure what about this particular chapter that they think is special. But as we've said several times, Paul has apparently been followed to Corinth by somebody who is calling his ministry into question. So a lot of the letter has to do with refuting the stuff that they're putting out and defending what Paul himself had brought to the Corinthians. This is a continuation of that. So chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Messiah, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I'm away. I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy stronghold. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. One of the charges that's been leveled against Paul is that he writes really starchy letters, but when he's there in person, he's very mild and meek. In verse 2, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against, and so forth. So what he is hoping is that when he gets to the Corinthian church, he will not have to be starchy with them. He really would prefer not to. As I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Remember we said that one of the things that was leveled against him was Paul is accident prone because everywhere he goes, he gets in trouble or causes a riot or something like that. And how can somebody that's such a reprobate be counted as an apostle? And so he's been speaking against that. Also, one of the charges has apparently been that somehow Paul is enriching himself through his ministry. So what he's planning on doing is coming back and scotching that and saying that he's not walking according to the flesh. So. Then he says, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Well, with whom is he waging war? The people who are spreading rumors about him. And the way I am taking that is that the people who are spreading rumors about him are motivated by unclean spirits. So he's going to confront them, but everybody should understand that this is a spiritual battle, not simply a turf fight between two preachers. So verse 4 then, the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
we destroy arguments. So one of the things that has happened is they are arguing against his previous ministry there. So he's going to destroy the argument and he's going to destroy every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. So I am assuming there what he's talking about is when I've got you guys back in line, which is where I left you. In other words, I was there in person, preached the gospel, set up the church, everything was in order when I left. When I get it back in order, then what I'm going to do is deal with these people that are causing problems. I think that's what he's saying. It's very Paul. Oh, by the way, he will occasionally here slip into sarcasm. You remember back in 1 Corinthians, he spent quite a bit of time being sarcastic. So as we read this, it will be good to have your sarcasm antennae up because he will slip into sarcasm here as we go along. So now verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Messiah's, let him remind himself that just as he is Messiah's, so also are we. In other words, you have people who are coming there who are confident and are boasting, if you will, that they have the true doctrine of Christ. And Paul is saying, uh, I'm of Christ also. And I will remind you of the pronouns here. He uses you when he's referring to the Corinthian church. He uses they when he is referring to those who are disturbing things. And he uses we or us when he's referring to himself and his traveling companions. Pay attention to the pronouns because they become important. Verse 8, For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. And that was what I mentioned early on, is that one of the canards that is leveled against him is when he isn't here looking you in the eye, he writes these scathing letters, but when you see him in person, he's very mild and meek. What that reminds me of is the current phenomenon that we have in our society, where you get these people who are sitting in the safety of their parents' basement, and they're writing tweets, and they are writing comments on things, and they are just fiery and blustery and all that kind of stuff. But when you actually meet them, they're these meek little basement dwellers that don't stand up for anything. I believe that's the charge that's being leveled against Paul here. His tweets are really very strong, but when you actually meet the guy, there isn't much to it. And, and the whole letter, by the way, is a defense of his ministry and his apostleship, except for this part in the middle where he was doing some fundraising. Had three chapters of fundraising in the middle, but now he's back to defending his ministry. Verse 11. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. So let such a person, such a person being the accusers, so let the accusers understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. So we, we just switched over into sarcasm. 
And he says, well, well, I mean, those guys are boosting themselves up, and I wouldn't dare compare myself to one of them. So again, verse 12, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. What he's saying is that whatever this clique is that has gotten started in the church, whether it has come in from outside or whether it is formed within the church, they are talking among themselves. It's sort of like, to use another modern example, all of Hollywood routinely gives themselves courage awards, right? I have never seen a less courageous bunch of people in my life. They're absolutely total sheep. All they will do is they will say whatever the prevailing sentiment is, and then they will stand up and give themselves courage awards for it. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. Verse 13, but we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So what he's saying here is, yeah, I've got some grounds to boast, but the grounds of my boasting are severely circumscribed. The only thing I get to boast about is the fact that I have reached you. Verse 14, for we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. We were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. So he's saying, I am not bragging beyond what I am authorized to brag because I was the one who brought you the gospel. So whoever's bothering them has come after him. It may be a locally grown heresy or it may be somebody comes through with a three-day pass in a briefcase and sowing dissent. We just don't know what the circumstances are, at least I don't. Verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labors of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. So what he's saying is, I can legitimately boast as having been the one that planted the church. What I am hoping is that your example and your witness will extend beyond Achaia, where you live. And so, as I then move beyond where you are, I am going to find that your witness has gone before me, and I am going to be able to be more effective in spreading the gospel. Verse 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Remember he said earlier, in verse 12, that the people who are disturbing them are commending themselves. So they are going through and puffing themselves up and blowing their own horn. And in that process, they have disturbed the members of the Corinthian church. And what Paul says is, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I, in fact, have been commended by the Lord. These toads have not. Chapter 11. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. I feel a divine jealousy for you, for I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, 
your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Messiah. For if someone comes and proclaims another Yeshua than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So, going back to the garden, and depending on how you understand scripture, and there's several different opinions on this, the commandment not to eat of the tree was given to Adam. And it was given to Adam before Eve was separated from him. Eve, when she is talking to the serpent, misquotes the instructions that God gave. God says, don't eat of that tree. When Eve is talking to the serpent, she says, we may not eat of that tree, nor may we touch it, lest we die. So what she's done is she has added to the gospel. Now, that's literally all the text says. It isn't clear whether Adam miscommunicated to his wife, or whether she misunderstood, or whether both of them didn't understand properly. The elaboration could have happened in any of those situations, and we just don't know. So what Paul is saying here is, hey guys, I have betrothed you to Messiah, and I want to present you as a virgin, and I don't want you falling into the same mistake, error, that Eve fell into. Notice both feminine. I want you to be a bride. Eve was a bride. She fell into error. I don't want you to fall into error. So notice the analogy that he's making there. We don't know exactly what is being said by whatever faction this is. But he's saying there's one Messiah, Yeshua. There's one gospel, the gospel of Yeshua. And there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. And if you get anything other than those three things, which you got from me, then you will be in danger of falling into the same error that Eve fell into. He ends verse 4 by saying that they accepted the gospel that he brought them. So now verse 5. I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So again, sarcasm, super apostles, these guys that think they know more. And he's saying that even though I'm not terribly articulate in person, I am not inferior in knowledge. My lack of articulation does not flow from a lack of understanding. Sort of like Moses. Moses also was apparently not terribly articulate. Verse 7. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted? Because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge. One of the things that he did while he was there is he did humble himself and he did not take any remuneration for preaching the gospel. He was not somebody that came through with a Rolex and a Learjet looking for pay for salvation. The fact that I didn't take any money for the gospel, is that the thing that's leading you to believe that the gospel that I gave you is not worth anything? One of the things that I learned very early on is people value things that they pay for. So for example, 
one of the bases I was on, we were doing a, a movie. And government had rented and all that kind of stuff, and some people wanted to do it free. And my boss said, absolutely not. What you do is make them buy tickets. Because if they buy tickets, they will show up. If it's free, it's sort of, eh, maybe I'll go, maybe I won't. But if you put a little money on the line and you bought a ticket, that means that they will show up. Paul is making the same argument here. Did I mess up coming to you in humility and preaching the gospel to you without any charge? Has that led you to devalue or to hold less valuable the gospel that I gave you because you got it for free? Verse 8. I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Messiah is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. What he's saying here is, when I came here preaching, I got my support from somewhere else. I didn't call on you to support me. Now, remember, in the previous three chapters, he was raising funds. But he was, again, raising funds not for himself, but raising funds to send back to the poor in Israel. And here he's saying, when I was among you, I was supported by the churches in Macedonia. I didn't ask you for anything. The essence of this paragraph is, gee, since it didn't cost you anything, does that mean that you don't value it? Verse 12, and what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission, they work on the same terms as we do. For such men are false apostles deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Messiah. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Stern letter to follow. He's saying that these people who are disturbing them are heretics. And remember we said earlier that our weapons are not physical weapons. So what he's saying is the only way to defeat the arguments of these people is with the truth. And I have brought you the true gospel. These people are trying to lead you astray in the same way that the serpent led Eve astray. Remember this whole thing led talking about Adam and Eve. And Eve was led astray by the serpent. And so what Paul is saying here is these people are servants of the serpent and they are also trying to lead you astray. Human beings have voices and hands. We have bodies. We have been given dominion on the planet. So if anything happens on the planet, it is God's policy that that happen through the agency of a man, either the words of a man or the hands and feet of a man, man, humanity. What Satan does, because Satan doesn't have a body, is Satan operates through men. And so what Paul is saying is, these men are apostles of Satan. So the battle is spiritual, but it takes place physically because 
the only way Satan can get his point across is to use a man. The battle is, what's the gospel? Who's the Messiah? Who is telling the truth here? That's all spiritual. God's side is being done through Paul, who's a man, and the enemy's side is being done through whoever these people are that are disturbing the Corinthian church. The conduit for this spiritual battle is people, which it always is. So verse 16, I repeat, let no one think me foolish, for even if you do accept me as a fool, so that I too may boast a little, but what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. Sarcasm? You understand? We just slipped into sarcasm there. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. The argument is, Paul is this millennial sitting in his mother's basement in his underwear, writing scathing letters. And what Paul is saying is, "Ah, I haven't defrauded you, I haven't done anything to you. And again, this is sarcasm. So, 21 again. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. For whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool. I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Messiah? I'm a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Verse 27. In toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And am I not weak? Who is made to fall? And am I not indignant? Remember, earlier on in the letter, one of the charges that seems to have been leveled against Paul is everywhere he goes, he winds up getting beaten or getting stoned or causing a riot or whatever. How can this guy be a genuine minister of God when he's such a reprobate? And so Paul is saying now, this is all the stuff that's happened to me. And why has it happened to me? Verse 28. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So what he's saying is, all of this stuff that has happened to me physically on my journeys, all the dangers I have worked through, the biggest of those dangers is my anxiety for your souls. All of this other stuff that's happened to me, that's not what's important. The thing that's important to me is the state of your souls. And by the way, the state of the Galatian church's souls, and so forth. Because apparently somebody is following along behind Paul, undoing 
what he has preached. And one of the weapons of that undoing happens to be this guy's abandoned a thug. Everywhere he goes, he gets thrown in jail. I mean, the guy causes riots everywhere. This is not godly. Verse 30, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Yeshua, who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. We'll pick up chapter 12 next time, and that's where we get the thorn in the flesh and all that kind of stuff. And we should finish up the book next time. God willing.